Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosser. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome back to Viewpoints again Ashley Hay, who's the editor of Griffith Review. And edition 72, States of Mind, has just very recently been published, and it's a, it's a mag- magnificent volume of, uh, of a variety of things, essays, poems, etc. Uh, welcome again to Viewpoints, Ashley Hay. Thanks for having me, Henry. My pleasure. As I said to you off air, I think it's a very timely, they're all timely, but this one's particularly timely, States of Mind, and it's, uh, I've read a lot of it, actually, and it's been very nourishing, one of my favourite words for good good literature. Nourishing is, uh, is what we love to hear, I have to say. Um, this is, as you say, a pretty timely collection to bring together. We have had various pieces in different editions of Griffith Review over the years that have looked at different aspects of mental health and mental well-being and mental illness um, across time, but we've never had an edition that puts all of that very complicated landscape front and centre. So obviously, as we were sitting in 2020 working out what we were doing in 2021, it seemed uh, pretty clear that conversations around mental well-being and mental illness might take a slightly different tone for people in as the pandemic, you know, either as we were all coming out of the end of it or as it all kept going. This book and this sort of framework gave us the opportunity of bringing together people who are writing from a policy perspective, uh, from the perspectives of psychology and psychiatry, from the perspectives of uh, pharmacology and some really interesting medical research, and also, as you'd probably expect, uh, some pretty extraordinary, powerful memoir. Um, the, the sense that I had when we were putting the edition together is from all these different voices and all these different points of view, We've had so many readers, so many writers, sorry, who've really trusted us with um, some very strong and rich stories. So I'm really grateful to all the writers who fed their words into us in the first place to make the edition that we did. Um, And as usual, I really love looking at the way they sort of start to intersect and talk to each other once we get them into the pages. Mm, Absolutely. I note in your media release, uh, just segueing from what you just said, Ashley, that that you say, um, ask yourself this, what state am I in and how much is it a reaction to the state of the world today. Um, might I respectfully suggest, Ashley, that that's a timeless question and I note you acknowledge, <laughs> you acknowledge that in your introduction uh, when, yes, you, it, when you say so, there's more to this collection than the ongoing impacts of COVID-19. I guess, I guess the question I have on that, Ashley, is how did you meet this challenge in selecting from the, as you said, almost record numbers of 550 people submitting? Yeah, look, that's um, that's always a complicated juggling act. And I think particularly and increasingly for us, we've always been really delighted by the, the range and the quality of pieces that people bring to us through the general submission process. We seem to be getting more and more. And I think that's, I mean, that's sort of exciting on the one hand to know uh, what great work is going on out there and, and then complicated on the other hand to understand how to put it together. Um, I think with this edition in particular, with all of them again, there are certain there are certain pieces of writing that we know will act as sort of the substructure for the whole book and that in one sense rules off 
um, you know, some submissions because you know you have this sort of good big piece coming in and sitting there and anchoring a lot of different parts of the collection. Uh, in other places, it sort of opens up the possibility to say, oh, I think this piece of fiction would sit fantastically alongside this piece of reportage or I think this poem complements this essay incredibly well. So they, the book sort of starts to build itself that way, I think. I mean, in terms of this one, we began um, by approaching Professor Patrick Mongori, who lots of people will know is not only um, a very highly recognised researcher in the area of mental health, but also an, a very powerful advocate in that space. And and we basically asked him for the survey piece that was informed by all the work that he's done, all the thinking that he's done in this area over the years, and just his sort of sense of where there could be some changes and some interventions that could be made. So that was sort of from a policy point of view, that was something quite important to us to pin down. We're also in a really interesting position at the moment that the current uh, Secretary of the Federal Treasury um, is Dr Stephen Kennedy and he's a man who trained originally as a nurse and began his training as a psychiatric nurse. And we thought that it was incredibly interesting to have someone with that background experience at the helm of Treasury as we came through or came into and started to come through the experience of a pandemic. So we were very excited when he agreed to um, be part of one of our conversation pieces that we've put together in the book and we're going to be having a, um, an event with him in July in Canberra as well. So that sort of was another important policy piece. And then we had a big piece of reportage by Kate Cole-Adams, who's a wonderful writer based down in Melbourne. Um, and she had been uh, talking with people who were involved in the very first authorised psychedelic drug trials that were going on in Australia and they got off the ground very early in 2020. They stopped almost immediately thanks mm. to COVID. Um, but Kate kept talking with the researchers and working on the piece and the, and the trials were able to sort of get off the ground again at the other end of the year. And that felt like a very important piece as well in terms of Kate's writing is, is sort of wonderfully elegant and exploratory. She wrote the book on anesthesia a few years ago, which is just a fantastic nonfiction um, exploration of a, you know, wonderful, wonderful topic. And we knew that she would bring the same kind of curiosity and depth to this story. So that felt like an interesting exploration of literally the states of mind that some people found themselves in, but some pretty cutting edge research that was going on that, you know, might one day down the track have the potential for, for changing things for a lot of people. Mm, I'd agree with you more. And yes, you're quite right. I thought Pat, Patrick McGuire's An Inclusive Blueprint for Mental Health was a, a great uh, anchoring point for, for um, Griffith Review 72. Of course, when I read it, I couldn't help but... Um, be both uh, excited and depressed in reading it. I mean, so much of the state, and, and I keep uh, I keep referring back to what state of mind I'm in, and it mm. gave mixed feelings for me. Uh, I mean, when Patrick says we're now ideally placed to take a major step forward in mental health, the other side of me um, actually couldn't help but think, yeah, that's only because we've got so much to reform that could well have been achieved by now. Uh, it's uh, it, it does create that uh, dilemma of state of mind. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. 
No, and I think that 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 sort of long view is again something that feeds into quite a few of the pieces in the book. There's a a piece by Angela Smith, um, which we've called the privatisation of anxiety, where she's sort of exploring, let's call it the resilience doctrine, I guess, of just for this um, this sort of quest for everyone to feel better and do better. Um, and she unpacks that in some pretty interesting ways and looks at, you know, why it might be that this sort of work, <laughs> we feel like this sort of work has to be done in the first place, let alone that we're all required to be doing it. Um, and I think another really interesting piece in the book is by James Dunk. Uh, it's called Unease and Disease. And James Dunk uh, wrote a fantastic nonfiction book uh, published, I'm not sure now if it was last year or the year before, called Bedlam at Botany Bay about uh, the first um, lunatic asylum it was called in, in Castle Hill in the first settlement in Sydney uh, and just sort of tracking the very early history of colonial madness um, after the arrival of the first fleet in 1788. And he writes a really interesting sort of a next step for us in unease and disease, um, just looking at looking at the, the true boundary, I guess, of colonial madness and whether we would perhaps, you know, do better to understand the way that stretches forward into the present day rather than thinking that's something uh, that we can sort of tuck back there in the, in the history books and not really think about any further. Mm, yes, you mentioned Angela Smith. I've taken notes of different ones and she's one that I did pick out and mm. I just scribbled some notes down there at the side of what she wrote, uh, the wellness, self-help and the resilience doctrine. I wrote, yes, I can't help but wonder to what extent uh, all of those uh, um, have the, the misfortune of turning victims into the perpetrators of their own bad luck and misfortune. It, it, uh, it, it's... Uh, it's a sad irony that, in a way, for many people. With and I think I think uh, it's a very valid point. It's. I think it intersects well with. Um, there's a, a a great piece by Sam Alexander, who's another Melbourne-based writer, called "Delusions of Sanity," and he began the piece with the sort of quite um, famous premise, I guess, of um, flipping the idea of sanity and insanity on its head and saying, well, you know, what if actually you're the one sane person in an insane world? Um, Sam's been sharing with me some of the feedback that he's had from readers, um, here and overseas as well. And I think, um, I think there's quite a lot of that state of mind going on at the moment in all sorts of different, uh, all sorts of different ways and all sorts of different places. Absolutely. Ashley, when you take a short break, can you hold the line? Absolutely. Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick, and Ashley Hay, the editor of Griffith Review, is chatting with me about States of Mind, the latest edition of the Griffith Review, which is uh, available right now. Welcome back, Ashley. Thank you. Now, Ashley, um, another thing about the book, and there's so many things in it, is the structure you, you, I've often read uh, magazines and books that have sections, essays, memoirs or whatever, and they mm. do them in a linear way. You'll get all mm. of these in one section. All Yours are all uh, interwoven, the structure of, of this. Obviously, a lot of thought's gone into that and the way that you've done it. Thank you. Um, I'm glad you say that because, yes, we do sort of put quite a bit of thought into it and I... I think part of the joy of – there are a lot of things that are great about um, 
getting to put these editions together, you know, just the privilege of working with this many writers each quarter in the first place and different writers every time as well. But one of the parts of the process that I do love is working out how the pieces slot together, how they talk to each other, I guess, and sort of starting to see the way that, you know, um, one essay might lead to another, but it might also just as easily step into a memoir or a memoir might step into a poem or, you know, a piece of reportage might step into a piece of fiction. Um, I think you start to well you start to see some interesting shapes in the book when you do that but also for us I think we're very conscious that we give people a pretty a pretty chunky volume to read four times a year um, and one of the things that I hope this sort of braided or plaited kind of structure does is that if you are someone who you know loves reading fiction, you can come in and you can see what the fiction is and where it sits in the book. You can jump in at that point, but it's going to feed you literally out the other end into something that you might not necessarily think you want to read in the first place. If you like coming in through the essays, you know, the same thing can happen that way. And I think particularly with the memoir often, we do have some pieces, you know, we, we work with a lot of um, researchers and experts in different fields. And we know that often what we're hoping they're able to do with us is sort of translate their work and their voice for a really general readership. And, you know, that, that often, you know, is a lovely editorial process in and of itself, but it can be wonderful to complement one of those, you know, those quite... Um, quite rich factual pieces with a piece of someone's personal experience with something that sort of explores the same kind of issues from the perspective of lived experience. In this book, I think one of the most powerful examples of that is there are a couple of the of the essays that we have, the one by Pat McGorry that I mentioned and another fantastic one by Niraj Gill, who was the acting chief psychiatrist up here in Queensland for a while. Um, these are two men with, you know, extensive practice, I guess, in the area of um, different sort of, you know, intersections with psychiatry. But we also have a, an amazing memoir by a young writer called Ruby Hillsmith called The Problem of Living. And Ruby um, is in her 20s and she writes about her experience with the um, sort of psychiatric healthcare system in Australia not from the perspective of the practitioner, but from the perspective of the the patient. Um, and I think being able to essentially set up a counterpoint, there are you know there are points of intersection, there are points of disconnect between Ruby's experience and the and the sort of ideas and experiences that Naraj and Pat, you know, not just those two, but other voices in the book are exploring as well. Setting up those connections and disconnections is often a really important way for readers not just to meet somebody else's stories on the page, but also maybe to be able to think into their own experience or think into, you know, stories that they've intersected with in their own lives. So I think the memoir in particular, and this is a really rich section of this book, Ruby, a great piece by Lech Blaine, whose book Car Crash has just come out, um, Brooke Davis, who a lot of people will know from her novel a couple of years ago, um, Vicky Lobo Harvey, who wrote The Erratics a couple of years ago, and, and sort of bringing their lived experiences onto the page around the essays, I hope, gives readers a different sort of way into the things we're talking about and a different kind of prism on this area. Absolutely, and uh, and I couldn't have put that better myself, even if I tried my hardest. Um, 
Ashley. Uh, when you're talking about the memoir, you know, I love the memoirs, I also love the poet, all of them, but um, I thought the perennity of love, Vicky Laveau, Harvey, in search mm. of lost connections, um, it started with her COVID dream and uh, I could resonate with that personally in terms of the, the space for reflections and lost connections. Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, they're, all, they're all brilliant, but uh, that one certainly struck me um, very, very, I very much. I think Vicky's piece, you you know, you can't have um, favourites as a mother or an editor, but um, Vicky's piece has a particular um, impact for me, I think, because a lot of readers in Australia met Vicky through her first book, The Erratics, which she published when she was in her 70s. It won a number of significant awards. It was, you know, she was an emerging author in her 70s. And it's a story, that is a memoir of her extraordinary family life when she was a child. Now, I think anyone who read The Erratics would think it was unlikely that Vicky would find another sort of more fascinating part of her own family story to explore. And what's so exciting about the perennity of love is this is the beginning of the next chapter of her family story that she's investigating. I think it's going to be a really fascinating one for Vicky and for readers as well. And some very interesting um, twists and turns coming up along the way, I think. Absolutely. Time's on the wing. We could go on and on, but there's so much in there. There is one. I always come back to this in all of your editions. I do look at this at the end. Um, poetry. And mm-hmm. I couldn't help but be taken by... Could you guess, now I never do this, which of those six poems do you think I would have, I would have picked out to talk about, given that I could have picked any of them? Ah, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to guess. No, um, would you like? No, I don't think I can hazard that one. Well, it was the bee box. Ah. The, the 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 simplicity and the the mm-hmm. metaphor. Um, I just thought that was utterly brilliant, and uh, I sat there looking at that, and it 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 made me stop and think. They all do, but I just picked the bee box out. Uh, would you have thought of the bee box? Look. I think I could have said almost any of them for different reasons, and I agree. The bee box is by Adam Smith, who. Adam also works in um, in linguistics at Macquarie University and the work that he does with language, um, I can see how you would be really fascinated by that. I think it is a really elegant and rich poem that, you know, once once you've read it, it's quite short. You want to sort of just sit with it and, and sort of step into it a bit more. Um it's one of the pieces that I think works as a really beautiful piece of punctuation inside the whole collection. Um, and all the poetry this time, there is a stunning long poem by Anne Casey, which I think is really a remarkable piece of writing. And David Savinger, who we were, he was one of the um, authors that we approached when we first started thinking about this collection. We knew that we wanted to have his words in the book somehow. And his uh, long poem, Intensifier, is is just wonderful. I mean, it's it's another one that is that works at so many layers of its language and, and just sort of unfolds on this extraordinary journey that you can take as the reader. So I'm glad it's the bee box because I think that, that one by Adam Smith is wonderful. Yes. But I reckon I could have found a reason oh, for it to course. be 
any of them, yeah. Look, we either we, we never have time to speak about them all, and neither should we, and, and it is unfair in a way to pick some out, but um, mm-hmm. I, I think they speak to all of them. And finally, you're, you're for picture gallery is is brilliant again and i know you don't i know you don't have a favorite and they're, they're all favorites in different ways but i'd i'd have to say um the one that the one that there's two that really get to me the very first one uh pandography there by uh, um, oh sorry jane leonard the cracked wall mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. the one about where the police um Fencing there, 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 the blue and white stripe is just dangling. That that speaks that speaks powerfully too, doesn't it? They're great images. Jane mm. usually works as a writer, and when lockdown struck her in Melbourne last year, she started to see the kind of graphs that we were all seeing in the news um, and we were all sort of depending on in a way. She started to see them in the world, and she started to make these beautiful images. Um, they've found images, I guess, in that sense, and uh, I think there's a there's a there's, there's a lot of um, resonance in them, but there's a playfulness in some of them as well, which I think is really useful oh, in a yes. book like this. Yes, they're, 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 yeah, they are some of the windscreen ones. Mm. Ash, time's got away from us again. Congratulations on a wonderful on a wonderful collection of. Um, well, states of mind from people. They're all a state of mind and uh, to share them with us all has been wonderful in Griffith Review 72. Thanks so much, Henry. Thanks for the chance of talking. Always a pleasure. That was Ashley Hay, the editor of Griffith Review. States of Mind 72, edition 72 is out now and 73 is not that far away. That'll be coming up in August and it's called Hey Utopia. Oh, we wish. <laughs>